chapter seventeen of from bangkok to bombay siam french indochina burma and hindustan by frank g carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b on the fringe of india few realize that we have here in india peoples of whom the world knows nothing and regions that the foot of white man has never trod these were the words of a veteran british official in india he continued take the brahmaputra that mighty river emptying into the ganges near its mouth only comparatively recently have we learned anything about its source and today there is still a territory along its banks which has not yet been explored the country there is a veritable no-man's land inhabited by half-naked savages who are professional head-hunters and who use poisoned arrows we pay them a subsidy for letting us alone and we have never attempted to conquer them but just where is this territory i ask it lies near the northern borders of assam in the foothills of the himalayas it is not far from the tea districts and there are tea factories with their electric lights and modern machinery upon its very edge you may travel ten miles from such surroundings and reach localities where your life is not safe for a moment the country is wild and rugged and the land falls away precipitously from an altitude of two miles above sea level down to a thousand feet or so in that region the drop of the brahmaputra is so great that we believe there must be big waterfalls there we may have hidden in those jungles a second niagara or zambezi falls and you say that the british pay tribute to these barbarians that is an odd policy for a mighty power is it not it is cheaper to pay than to fight the official replied when we took possession of the country these tribesmen were periodically raiding the lowland villages they would swoop down from the hills and kill a few people carrying away as much loot as they could they usually got a cow or so a few goats and chickens and household effects worth comparatively little when we took possession we called the chiefs to a conference and asked them how much they made from these annual raids they told us and together we figured up their thefts for the past few years estimating that they netted on the average about twelve hundred and twenty rupees per annum we thereupon proposed that if the tribesmen would let the other natives alone we would pay them this much every twelve months they agreed and thus far have kept their contract they come at the appointed season for the money and seem well satisfied with their four hundred dollars but is not that an undignified way of keeping the peace i ask yes but in this instance it is the best the only other thing we could do would be to send troops into the territory we should have to fight all the time and there would be a continuous loss of money and life the country is a jungle and our men would be shot with poisoned arrows from behind the trees the savages could kill many of us without our being able to kill them and the game does not seem to be worth the candle such people are scattered through the forests and along the frontiers of india there are queer tribes of mongols on the borders of tibet strange forest dwellers on the nilgiri hills and aborigines on the various islands while in kashmir and baluchistan are still other peoples with customs as different from those of the british as are those of the eskimos from our own one great class known as jungle people live in the woods and are about as savage as the natives of the congo 
They believe in witches and witch doctors, make bloody sacrifices, and engage in wild dances as a part of their worship. These people are generally animists, or spirit worshippers, and number about ten millions. Their food is principally wild herbs and fruits, and their homes are caves or temporary shacks. In southern India are the Yanidas, who have round huts made of brushwood and live on jungle fruits and wild honey. They are as shy as the Negritos of the Philippines and will run at the sight of a white man. Since I have been in India, I have met some of the officials in charge of the penal settlement on the Andaman Islands in the Bay of Bengal. The aborigines, of whom there are only some 1,300 left, are pygmies. They move about from place to place, putting up shelters of leaves and brush wherever they camp. They wear practically no clothing and are not unlike the pygmies of the Congo. Their skins are black and their heads are shaved so as to leave on the top a circular patch of frizzly hair as big around as a teacup. The women are the barbers and every wife dresses her husband's hair. Both women and men are tattooed. As a sight of her devotion, a widowed Andamanese wears the skull of her dead husband on a string about her neck. I am told that when the British officers first came to the Andamans, the natives were cannibals, clad chiefly in coats of red mud and worshipping an evil spirit which spread disease. They believe this world is balanced on top of a very tall tree, which at the last day will be loosened by an earthquake. When that comes to pass, they think the living and the dead will change places and that the angels and devils will keep shaking the tree and thus prevent mankind from going up the bamboo ladder connecting it with heaven. They think also that the devil dwells in the sea and feeds upon the bodies of those who are drowned. So far as I know, the Andamanese are the only people in existence who have no knowledge of how to make a fire. Each family treasures its own flame which is never allowed to go out. Some of the strangest of India's wild peoples live in the upper Himalayas, which are spotted with tribes whose ancestors took to the mountains before the onslaught of the conquering Aryans more than 3,000 years ago. There are hill men in Assam who have no method of telling distances, but measure the length of a journey by the amount of beetle leaf they can chew on the way. There are tribesmen that paint their faces like our Indians, and many who tattoo and disfigure themselves in various ways. The Nagas inhabit the country east of the Assam Valley. They are Mongols and number in all less than 200,000. The largest of their tribes is the Angami, who believe they were the first people on earth and say that they sprang from the dew. They call the earth their only master and worship it. They live in villages entered by sunken paths and surrounded by stockades of thorn bushes and nettles. Another of the Naga divisions is known as the Eos. These people were once notorious slaveholders and used to sacrifice some of the slaves they captured in war. Another is the Simas, who until recently were headhunters and did not scruple to slay their guests. I am told that the Nagas have great buildings for the bachelors or young men of the tribes, corresponding somewhat to the men's quarters in New Guinea, and also to the young people's halls among the Maasai of Africa. The young men's hall is erected on a platform, and the girls' house is nearby. The men sleep in bunks. In the girls' house there are always two or three maidens sleeping together. 
in addition there is sometimes an old woman as chaperone though i understand that she is often half blind and spends but little time on her job i have spoken of the tibetan women i saw in the darjeeling bazaars who had each more than one husband polyandry is still common in the himalayas from assam to kashmir and also among the todas of the nilgiri hills often when there is a pretty girl in the family the man who falls in love with her pays a fee to her parents and possibly comes into the house as her husband after a time a second lover may appear and unless the first husband can offer a large sum to secure exclusive possession the newcomer pays his price and joins the circle it appears that it is entirely a question of money and that the man who can afford it may have a wife to himself in such marriages the children are looked upon as belonging to the women in the nilgiri hills a great plateau more than a mile above sea level and not far from madras live a hairy people noted for their drunkenness and moral laxity they dwell in huts of bamboo covered with thatch with doorways so low that they have to crawl in and out on all fours they are chiefly herdsmen and drive their long-horned buffaloes about from place to place to pasture these hillmen worship the moon and the rising sun and they have other gods of various kinds they now and then sacrifice calves with the hope that the cows will give more milk and at funerals they sacrifice buffaloes believing that the souls of the animals will go with the dead up to heaven the santals worship the sun and the mountains and the gons who think they are sprung from a certain peak of the himalayas bury their dead with their feet to the north that they may be ready to start home without turning around the whole of northern and western india is really a backwards country baluchistan is largely a desert with fertile valleys of date palms over which move caravans of camels its people are mostly moslems of persian descent and do not recognize caste not unlike them are the afghans who live on the outskirts of india and number about ten million they claim to be descended from one of the lost tribes of israel their territory is said to be rich in minerals but as yet it has not been prospected they are a nation of horsemen and send hundreds of horses down to delhi and other parts of india each year afghanistan has a half dozen or more good-sized cities some of which are great trading centers it is ruled by the amir who lives at kabul and is on friendly terms with the government of india there are no railroads in afghanistan though a large caravan trade flows through the khyber pass bringing goods from kabul and Bukhara and central asia down to hindustan in afghanistan the highways are mostly trails for horses and camels although wagon roads are now being made from the chief towns to the russian persian and indian frontiers automobiles go regularly from kabul to peshawar from which a railroad line is being built through the khyber pass between afghanistan and india lies a belt of territory of varying width extending from the gomal pass in the south to kashmir in the north it is known as the independent territory and is inhabited by mountain tribes whose chief desire is to be left alone they can put thousands of armed men into the field and as they are fanatical moslems are easily stirred up to fight by their religious leaders their land does not yield enough to support the population and so they become caravan traders enlist in the indian army or in the frontier militia 
or follow the ancient calling of their forefathers that of making raids upon the more peaceful and wealthy inhabitants of the plains below thus they cause the british no end of trouble on this border are the gates to india the four main passes through the northwestern mountain barrier which are always closely guarded through them in times past came the conquering aryans the cohorts of alexander the great the hosts of the tartars the moguls the persians and the afghans chief of the gates is that sword cut in the mountains that men call khyber pass it is a narrow defile winding through cliffs of shale and limestone from six hundred to a thousand feet high and through it goes the main highway between kabul and hindustan caravans are permitted to go through only on certain days of the week then the khyber rifles a special force of eighteen hundred mountain tribesmen guard the gate while the convoys of camels asses and wild-looking men and women and children file past on their way to trade with the people of the plains below End of chapter 17